Good morning. My name is Jeff, and I am one of the pastors here at EV Free. And uh, what a fun story uh, to to pick up with and John. We've been going through the Gospel of John and taking a look at the beginning and the preparation that was done by John the Baptist and everything's been building up. And this is the beginning of his ministry starting to take legs. It's him starting to do things. And we get a chance to see him do some pretty fun things right off the bat. Um, I want to begin with just one light line simply because it's the, it's the obvious one that's right there. And it shows up in the passage when it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. All of this happens because Jesus was invited. And so the first thing, if you're writing down and taking notes, is invite Jesus to your parties. Because really good things happen, and that's just the best. Is So doing a little bit of math, because it talks about that there are six jars, and they're anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons, so that puts us in you that are good with math are going to look at that and say, all right, if it's, if it's 20 gallons times six, that's 120. If it's, if it's 30 gallons times six, that's 180. So somewhere between 120 and 180 is gallons of wine is what we have. So we're going to do the average. Just for easy math, cut it at 150. So we've got 150 gallons of wine. And so I had to Google this just to see how much wine that would take. I didn't actually like test this to be sure, but just simply taking an average bottle of wine, that stops to come in right at about 750 bottles of wine that Jesus brings as a wedding gift. Can you show me the gift table, please? I have 750 bottles of wine. And he comes up with 750 bottles of wine, a really, really good wine. And so if we look at it and just guess that the average price of a good bottle of wine is about $100, they don't know yet that this is the wine that Jesus turned from water into wine, because I think if somebody has a bottle of that still around, it's going to be really expensive. I want to taste it, and I don't even drink wine. So it's the kind of thing that we love this story and everything that it says about what's going on with Jesus, but we also need to cut to the chase on it because, yes, this did happen, and somebody that invited Jesus to the wedding, that's one of the best decisions they ever made. But in addition to that is all this other stuff that goes on in this story, and some of it is a little cryptic about the conversation Mary has with Jesus and and what goes on here. But this is the thing, is this is, follow with me again on verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The third day, meaning Jesus had just started, he had showed up after he had been baptized, he came back, John the Baptist sees him, he points out to John, says to his disciples, behold the Lamb of God, they start to follow him, and then they say, hey, you know, Rabbi, where are you going? And he says, come and see. And remember, that's what we've been talking about, that this is the invitation for us to come to Jesus and to see, and the disciples have just started doing that, and we're at the third day for the disciples. Just beginning for them, just beginning for, for everybody. It's kind of a beginning thing. It's the first miracle he does. It's the beginning of somebody's marriage. They're just getting married. This whole thing is a beginning story. And as that beginning story does, Jesus does his first miracle. And I want you to notice what his first miracle is. It is not raising somebody from the dead. 
It is not healing somebody from blindness. He's not making the lame walk. He's not purifying a leper. He's not doing any of those normal things that are just awesome that he's about to do. He steps in and does an ordinary thing on an ordinary day. How many of you have been to a wedding? Yeah, we've all been to weddings, right? This is not unusual. This is a normal wedding. And so he shows up at the wedding and something goes wrong at the wedding. How many of you have been at a wedding where something went wrong? Those are my favorite moments, actually. They always make the wedding better and everybody else says, oh, this is going to be terrible. But those moments when the ring bearer takes the ring and takes off to the back and everybody's chasing him trying to get the ring, that's the best. I pay extra to go to those weddings. Well, this is what happens at this wedding. Something goes wrong and it turns out to be the best moment of all. Can you imagine if they'd actually planned and had enough wedding or enough wine? We wouldn't have this story at all. But instead, because they poor planning, this, this plays out well. Find those weddings of people who plan poorly and go to them. That's not actually the message, no. Um, Let me get back to my notes. Uh, As we do this, though, what I want you to see here is this normal, everyday stuff is the stuff of life that Jesus cares about and he gets involved in, and his first miracle is just about normal life. That's a beautiful picture, that the God of the universe that literally just breathes the Pacific Ocean into creation can also turn water into wine because on that particular day at somebody's wedding, they'd run out of wine and they needed that. And he does it. But he does it because his mother comes along. Oh, mom's involved. Well, that changes everything once mom gets involved. But look at what happens here. So on the third day, there's a wedding, and then Jesus, who's invited, and then the wine runs out, and the mother comes to Jesus and says to him, they have no wine. I love just the truth in this statement, not just that they have no wine, but the fact that Mary looks at Jesus and brings this problem. It's not her problem. This isn't her wedding. She is not the master of the feast. It talks about that as being somebody else. This is Mary who's been invited to the wedding. She's at the wedding. She sees the thing going on. They're in the feast. She notices they're running out of wine. And she sees someone else's problem. And she feels in her heart the compassion for what's about to happen. And so she steps over to her son, who her son who she spent so much time with, There's a beautiful contrast here. The disciples on the third day, so this is the third day the disciples have seen Jesus. They're just starting. This is the 30th year that Mary has seen Jesus and been near him. The responses are completely different by that amount of time. With three days, the disciples do nothing in this story. They are completely worthless. They just stand off to the side. They don't even bring the water to fill the things. They're just there watching their rabbi. But Mary, who has had 30 years in proximity to Jesus, does something completely different. She sees someone else's problem, and she picks up that problem and brings it to Jesus. That's a beautiful image of what we should be doing, seeing other people's needs and bringing them to Jesus. And then notice, too, what she does. They have no wine have no wine. She states the problem. She doesn't suggest a solution. 
She doesn't come up with 18 different ways that Jesus should solve this. Hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. I need you to take those disciples who aren't doing anything over there. Could they run down to the market and grab a couple of cases of wine and just see if we can stretch this out a little bit? We'll water it down. We'll do whatever. And maybe we could, um, you know, maybe break up the wedding early and dismiss early and then nobody will need as much. She could have come up with 18 different solutions to the problem and suggested them to Jesus. She does none of that. But we do. I don't know about you, but I do this all the time. I come to the Lord with my problems, and I come with my solutions. The problem is, is my thinking is what caused the problem to begin with. So when I look at a problem, I look at it and go, oh, this is a mess. I should do this, or I can't do this. Maybe Jesus could do this to solve it. If you, it's the classic, I need to win the lottery. My finances are in, upside down, and I need to win the lottery. And we all know the stories of people who win the lottery always in badly, right? I'd still like to try that, just to see maybe somebody could turn that around. But, but the point is, is that Mary doesn't come and say, Jesus, we need to win the lottery. We don't need a thousand gallons of wine. She comes and brings the problem and lays it at his feet and simply says, I have a friend who has a need. Jesus, somebody has a need. That we could pray right now, and that's the message, right? It's that simple story, except something else does happen in this story. And it's what I refer to as the proximity effect. We've talked about the three days with the disciples and the 30 years with Mary. Mary has got a lot more time around Jesus. So I'm going to read this to you. And uh, I'll read it a couple times. If you've got your journals out, you might want to write this down. Right underneath, invite Jesus to your parties. Then you're going to put... Our proximity to God affects what we believe. Our proximity to God affects what we believe. Mary, time with Jesus, close to Jesus, having that, that angel speak to her, spending all those years, that birth and what happened with, with the shepherds and the wise men and everything going on. And then at 13, he's at the temple and that was all weird. And there had to be 30 years of weirdness with Jesus as your son. Mary's there through all of it, and that proximity affects what she believes, who she thinks he is. But what we believe about God affects our actions. Because she had all that belief, it affects what she does next, and what her actions are, what we do, then affects those around us. So what we believe about God affects our, or, or, sorry, I'm going to go back on that. Our proximity to God affects what we believe. What we believe affects our actions, and our, how we act affects those around us. What we do when we're doing it in faith ends up having a reciprocal effect on those around us, those that are near us, those that we might have a care and concern for, actually benefit from what we do if we... Seek to, when Jesus says, come and see, if we come near him, if we draw near to him, he draws near to us, and that begins to affect all those around us. Mary does this in a beautiful way, and so now we share this story and we get this opportunity, and it's a really cool thing in that regard. I can tell you time and time again, it was difficult for me to not give you 30 stories of how I've seen this play out in my life. So I will give you one. 
We lived at Hume up in the mountains for a while, and Hume didn't have a school, so we homeschooled our kids. And in the process of homeschooling, my wife would do what's known as unit studies. My wife, Eugenie, would take a topic, and one particular year, she picks the topic of just the ocean and the sea. And she used that as the theme, and then everything she taught went along with that. And so the kids were studying everything from octopuses to whales to sharks to starfish to crabs, shells, all the things you can find in the ocean. And so she's teaching all of this as a unit study. They're going deep in it. The challenge is, is that up to this point in time, if we ever got a chance to uh, just simply get away, we would get a babysitter or get our grand, our, our, my mom to come watch our kids or her mom to come watch our kids, and then we would go to the coast. And we would leave the kids in the mountains. So our kids had never been to the beach. And I know that this is really sad that you would think that somebody in this day and age who calls themselves a Christian had never taken their kids to the ocean. <laughs> But it's true, we had never even taken them because we would go, but we wouldn't go with our kids. So we're, now we're doing a unit study on it. We got to take them. So we take them to the ocean and we pull up at the very first beach as you're coming off of 101, um, Highway 101, kind of central, central coast area. And as we pull off, the beach is one of those beautiful sandy beaches. It's gorgeous. It's, it's the kind of beach that some of you are wishing you were at right now. And it's a beautiful beach. And the kids, they run out to the water and they are amazed because they've never seen this in real life. They've seen pictures of it. They've heard it described. And the idea that the water just goes on and on and you just lose it over the horizon somewhere is fascinating to behold the first time. And so these kids, and you need to know, they're like 19, 20 years old now and they're just now seeing it. I'm kidding. They're, uh, they're little. But they come running up and they run up to the edge and one of them literally throws their arms out and it's just, oh, this is amazing. This is incredible. And they're just amazed at just how big it is. But that only lasts for a second with kids. And now they want to see the whales. A shark, mom. Shark. A a shell. A crab. Nothing. And you can just see their shoulders kind of drop. Like, this is not what we were expecting. They were imagining they would step into an aquarium with everything right there. And they come up to this beach and there's nothing there, just beautiful sand and nothing else. So my wife, who is in proximity with Jesus, has this little conversation with Jesus. And she says, Lord, you know their hearts wanted to see so much and I wanted them to be delighted at all the cool things you've made. Lord, is there any chance you could just let them see a starfish? Just a starfish. She is no sooner done making that prayer than overhead, our son stops and says, Mom, look, and there's a seagull flying by with a starfish in its beak. And it flies and drops the starfish at my son's feet. And I am looking at the starfish, and all our kids are running around, oh, this is so awesome. And I look at my wife, Eugenie, and I'm like, why don't you pray for money? If you have this kind of power, what are you doing? This is, what, that's, how? But this is a true story, and I want you to understand that our children's faith is grown and changed and transformed because Eugenie's proximity with God believed in him enough to take that problem and lay it at his feet and leave the solution up to God. 
And God does it in a most miraculous way, in a common everyday moment, and our children still share that story to this day because they watched it happen. Our proximity to God affects our belief. Our belief then affects our actions, and our actions affects those around us. If you don't think this is true, understand that it happens in this story that Mary does this thing, brings the problem, and look at it, the passage here. We're going to jump over to verse 11. This is the first of his signs, the first miracle. Jesus did at Cana in, Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory because Mary brought it to him. And his disciples believed in him. His disciples became believers that moment. They were just followers of another rabbi up until this moment. But because of Mary's faith, because of her proximity to Jesus, she then does this thing that transforms the people around her. The disciples become Christians that day because of Mary. That's pretty cool. Yeah, what's on your resume? Well, the disciples became a Christian because of me. Peter. Peter. This rock... That Peter, because Mary brought the problem. Now, it would have happened anyway, but Mary got to be a part of it. Now, you think that, that I'm maybe stretching this a little bit, but actually the very next story, the, the story where Jesus meets with Nicodemus, that whole story in John 3, um, Nicodemus, you'll remember this, he, he comes, one of the, the uh, teachers of Israel, he sneaks in at night to talk to Jesus. That makes him the very first Nick at night. Get it, Nick at Nick it. Damn, never mind. Anyway, so Nick comes up to Jesus. They have this conversation and this beautiful conversation. But in the middle of that, that conversation, we get this. It's chapter 3 of John. In fact, um, let's see. Is it 15? No, 16. John three sixteen. Anybody heard of that verse? Because Nicodemus comes in proximity with Jesus, they have this conversation, and out of this conversation, to this day in stadiums, signs are held up, John three sixteen. The conversation Nicodemus had, because he started to have this proximity with Jesus, it affected what he believed, it affected his actions, and to this day, we know that verse, and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, have become believers because Nicodemus had the conversation with Jesus. The very next story, right after that, is the story of the woman at the well, and I think you know where we're going, is that she comes up to the well, she's in proximity with Jesus, and then when we look at this in verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because she was in proximity, what she did went on, and others became believers. Oh, it doesn't stop there. We can go to the next story. You can kind of get a trend here. But the official whose son was sick and almost going to die comes to Jesus and he's proximity with Jesus. And Jesus says, your son is not going to die. He's healed. He runs home and when he finds about halfway, his servants meet him there and they're like, your son's all better, man. You don't need to bug Jesus. And he's like, when did he get well? Well, exactly the time you were talking to Jesus. He comes back, he tells that story And look at this at the tail end of chapter 4, verse 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all of his household. Because he was in proximity with Jesus, his whole family became believers. This proximity thing should not be taken lightly. 
that when we come in proximity with Jesus, it begins to change us. It changes how we see the world and what we do. And then it should show that what we do then has an impact on those around us. It has an effect on those around us. The proximity effect has one clear message. It says, come to Jesus. Now, some of us are going, yeah, I've I come to Jesus and sometimes I'm tired and sometimes I'm worn out and sometimes I'm not even sure that he's there. So I want to read you a verse out of 1 Peter that just simply talks about bringing our problems to Jesus. And it's simple. Most of you may even have this passage memorized. But it starts with verse 6. This is out of 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. It's a position with God and seeing God as who he is that you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. That we bring our problems to him because he cares for us. Mary in this moment is not just bringing her problems to him. She's bringing her friend's problems to him. There's a thought of somebody who spent time with Jesus is not just thinking about themselves. This isn't about praying for a good parking spot at Christmas time. Though I would guess he actually would get involved in that. I'm not suggesting that you're going to go test this, but it's the moment that you stop and say, what Mary is doing is she's saying there's a higher kind of love. It's a love where I think of others as more important than myself, Philippians 2. In fact, this is the very thing that Jesus is thinking about at the moment that this happens. I love this thing that where Mary is thinking about somebody else's needs, and Jesus at this moment is thinking about somebody else's needs. Look at the story. Come back to John 2. Mary says to Jesus, they have no wine. And Jesus says to her, woman, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you, and they do, and the miracle happens. Follow the logic on this. This is a speed bump to most of us. When we're reading this passage, we look at it and we're going, what, what's just happened? It sounds like he's a little bit rude to his mother. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Ah, the fact of the matter is this woman phrase that's used here is the same one that's used both by the angels and by Jesus when the women are at the, the tomb later on when Jesus resurrects from the dead. And it's not with that tone at all when we read it there. It's rather as the women are crying that it's just like, woman, why are you crying? It's a much softer touch right off the bat. But it still leaves us this question because he says, what is that to, to me? Why are you coming to me with this? When my hour has not yet come, and then he does it anyway. It's like, what's going on? Here's the deal. When Jesus refers to my hour has not yet come, He's talking about a very specific moment in his life. Turn to John 13. In John 13, in the first verse, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. This is the hour Jesus is talking about. He's saying... 
Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What hour? This hour. The hour when it's time to depart. And where is he? He's at the Passover feast. The Passover feast, that's the time when the, if you remember the Passover, that's when Israel was in captivity in Egypt. They're about to be delivered, but the angel of death is going to come and they've been instructed to take the blood of a pure lamb and then put it on the doorposts. And by putting on the doorpost, the angel would pass over it, and those with that blood would be saved. Do you see any typology of Christ there, maybe? It's at that feast where Jesus takes the cup in communion and says, this cup represents my blood. What's in the cup? Wine. This wine is my blood that will cover you. Jesus has taken all of that, and at this moment, at this wedding, at this time, when Mary comes up and says they have no wine, Jesus is looking at a crowd of people, and you know what I believe he's seeing in this crowd? is a crowd that has no wine, that has no blood of Christ that's covering them. They have yet to be saved by having this, this, this sacrificial offering covering them. Jesus is focused on that. That's what's on his mind at this moment. It's not about running out of wine. It's about that my hour has not yet come, that God has given me a specific moment, a specific time, that this will happen. And in this wine to him, he's thinking already of their needs, not their need for wine, their need for him, their need for salvation. Mary comes thinking of someone else's needs. Jesus in that moment is thinking of our needs. He's thinking of us thousands of years later. He's looking it out and he's going, but not yet. Because there's a specific time that my father has for me to do just this. And it's not to do a miracle without wine. It's do the miracle of the almighty living God sending his son to die for us. That we might have life. That's the story that's happening in this moment. Years ago, um, at Hume, we, were, we, had a, we had a problem where we had so many kids trying to come to camp, churches trying to sign up, and we didn't have enough space. So we were running around 600 to 650 kids a week, and it came to the point where we were trying to expand. And so we looked at it and said, well, what if we put a, a balcony into our main chapel? We could expand up to having 1,000 kids a week in high school. Now, some of you go, gosh, that's scary, 1,000 kids a week. Yeah, so we thought the same thing. That might be a disaster. So we started to see if anybody had ever done that before and whether they'd survived. So we looked around until we found a place called Falls Creek in Oklahoma. And it's a really large Southern Baptist camp. And they had 5,000 high schoolers every week of summer camp. So we decided, let's go to False Creek and let's see what's going on at False Creek. And so there's, we're in this sanctuary. There's 5,000 high schoolers and they had not yet burned the place down. So we thought, all right, something's working. And we sat way off in the back and we're watching the, the, one of the services go on and a speaker gets up front and he lays out this whole work of the multiplying effect of the body of Christ, that what happens when we go out and share the gospel with others. And so he said, can I get 12 volunteers? And he got 12 volunteers to come up on stage and he simply presented the gospel in just a a clear, very simple method. And he said, look, here's the deal. 
all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of your sin, that separates you from having a relationship with the almighty living God who is righteous and holy. In order for that to happen, you can't do it because you're already sinful. Somebody's going to have to pay that price. So God in his love sent his son to die for you that his blood would cover your sins and make you pure again so that you could have this relationship with God. And he said, that's it. I need you to go tell everybody that. And if we do this right, it's less than a minute for you to tell that. And and then he says to the crowd, all you have to do is just say, when they say that, say, I believe. Then take that same message and go out and tell another. And so if those 12 go out and tell 12, then those now we got 24, follow me? The 24 then goes, now we got 48, 48, 96, and it just goes like that. And roughly in about 10 minutes, do the math, in about 10 minutes, the entire room is saved. All 5,000 people. But that's not what happened. So here's this room of 5,000 people, and those 12 go out, and you know who they go to is they go to their, I almost jumped down there. Is it impossible, Darren, to jump down? I, All right, here we go. So they come running out, and they come to their friends, and they go, hey, do you know that Jesus died for you? And they went quicker than that, and they went, yes, I believe. Do you know? And then they went, and they went, and then once all the friends together had all gotten saved, they did high fives, they laughed, they talked about what they were going to do afterwards, and hey, you want to get boats, you want to do bikes, and you're going to hell, you never got saved. It was the saddest thing. We're standing in the back like, someone come save us, come save us, and no one did. That we were really, literally in this moment with this group of believers, and they had their assignment to go out, and they didn't go out. They did what was good to them internally, and they thought of themselves, and they stayed intact. And we sat in the back waiting, going, with that great message, would you please come to us? They never came. Does this sound familiar? This is why I love what Mary does, thinking about somebody else. I love what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's thinking about us, and his story is going to be a hard one. It's going to be a tough one that this would happen. I want to read you one last passage out of 2 Corinthians 5. And 2 Corinthians 5 is this appeal. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, it says, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I love this. The God that takes water and turns it into wine can make new things out of nothing. And he does that with us. He makes us a new creation. It's one thing to think it's cool that he does it with water to wine. How much more that he takes a a sinful flesh human being and makes them a child of God. A new creation. That's beautiful. But as it goes on, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's tag, you're it. I now want you to go forward with this message, like sending out the 12. Verse 20 of chapter 5. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Come into proximity with him. Because there are those around us who desperately need to see his love, to see his light, to see his grace, to be touched by what he does. It's not Mary that turned the water into wine. Without Jesus, it never would have happened. It's not Mary that made the disciples Christians. Without Jesus, it never would have happened. It's Jesus at every stage, and without Christ, we are not saved. But with Christ in our time in proximity, we are indeed ambassadors to go out with that very message. So, in closing, we are going to give you an assignment. We do a Thanksgiving offering every year where we take an offering from the entire congregation and then we do something special with that. It's one time to celebrate the gifts and the resources that God has blessed this community with. And normally we do that offering as something that will actually bless this community directly. Like we'll work on a building and we'll fix a, a particular thing that's wrong with the, with the church. Um, not you particularly, some building-wise. Uh, some of you were getting nervous, you know. It's like, oh, they're going to work on me. No, the, the idea is, is that we, we've, we've been internal the last couple of years. So as we've been talking, we decided let's do something external to actually go out into our community to love our community, to do something where we would see someone else's need, like Mary did, and actually try to resolve that. So you should have gotten cards as you came in, and they would look something like this. And so we simply decided to be a little creative with this. It might be a little crazy too. But the idea is, is that we're hoping that instead of raising around 30000 we're hoping, that's the normal amount, that we would be overly generous in thinking about the needs of others, that God would bring others into our minds, and that we would raise closer to 50000 So we refer to it as the 50,000 days of Christmas. And the concept is, is that we would corporately think through some ways where we would see needs and then we would go out and maybe it's a particular family and maybe a single mom who's going through incredibly tough times and you know them and you decide, what if we did something really special for that mom? So you can see on the list, on the green side, there's a list of things we just are going to use to kind of seed the idea. We want you to actually generate the ideas. And then we'd take that offering and send it back out. But it would be something like this. So 12 barbers styling. This is the idea of maybe going into some of the homeless encampments and we go to different barbers and hairstylists and you'd say, would you come with us? We're going to go out and we're going to set up 12 barber chairs and we're going to give them shampoo and we're going to trim their hair and give them new clothes and just love on them. But that's the idea of 12 barbers styling. The 11 parents dating. This is the idea of families that barely can get out. We literally come, set up babysitting, and give them some dinner certificates and send them out on a date. And some of you are like, I'll sign up. Yeah, right? But find somebody who never gets to go, and we go love on them that way. That's the 11 parents dating. The 10 shoes for running are kids that are in the soccer programs, but they don't even have good shoes. And we'll get them cleats, and 10 pairs of cleats, that's the 10 shoes for running. Nine pooping puppies, that's got to be a typo. I'm not sure where that came from. We actually were joking about that, and it made it to copy. So... Um, <laughs> We can change that to precious puppies, nine precious puppies. But the idea of a kid that doesn't even have a dog, maybe that's a fun thing. 
eight PC laptops for a student who can, needs to do better in school than we could give them the resources to do that. The seven moms are pampered. What if we found seven single moms and simply said, we're going to take care of your kids and we're going to send you for a day of spa treatment and just simply pamper you. Six internships for people who are having a hard time getting a job. Let's bring them on here and we'll make a, there'll be interns here and we will teach them and get them to a point that they're employable. And we're going to go on, but instead of doing it that way, this is to the 12 days of Christmas. So you can see the project. So I'm going to sing it, but I'd sing it really badly. So I'm going to suggest once you kind of get the flow, you join in with me. All right. So uh, let's see if I can remember how the song goes. Uh, we're not going to do the whole song. We're going to cut to the very last chorus. Twelve barbers styling. Eleven parent, come on, dating. Ten shoes for running. Nine pooping puppies. Eight PC laptops. Seven moms are pampered. Six internships. Five cars repaired. Four scholarships. Three fridges filled. Two bikes for riding. And a family sent to Disneyland too. Yeah. We want to bring you together. Find those people that God brings on your heart that are in incredibly difficult situations. Come back with their stories. You can go onto the app and start donating now. You can go onto the web and donate through there. Next week, we will take our Thanksgiving offering. Come with your pockets overflowing in thankfulness, and let's do some incredible things for our community. You'll suggest the ideas to us. We're going to go then send them back out, and we're going to love to love on our community. But this is what happens when we come in proximity with God. We don't stay internal. We go external and love those around us. Let them see. Let them hear that they too may know the love of Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your love. I thank you for this beautiful story of what happens with Mary just by spending a lifetime with Jesus. Lord, may we be those people who from this day forward are known as those who have spent a lifetime with you. And that by our proximity to you, our nearness to you, that it would change what we think, how we believe, and how we behave. And Lord, that by how we act, others would see your glory and come to know you as well. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.